Hello everybody, welcome to episode 5 of Business After Hours. Uh, today's guest, Glenn Fisher, he's an author, a speaker, a copywriter, a podcaster, and really, really interesting guy. He's the author of The Art of the Click, um, and today we kind of talked about his background in business and how he became an author, how he, how he became proficient in writing very, very highly targeted sales copy and how it persuades people to to do the action sign up for something buy something get in touch um and it was it was quite insightful to realize how much goes into that so uh there's a lot of good content there we talked about running a, a small business as a, as a freelancer um the sort of work that he does now versus what he did before and how he got into the whole copywriting thing which is not something that he originally thought he could do So I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. So Glenn, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Unprepared there. (laughs) We we met for the first time a couple of weeks back in a coffee shop. We did. And uh, I said, how about being on the podcast? Mm -hmm. And you said, funny, funny you should ask. I do my own podcast. So I'm expecting you to be more yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, I've been I've been a guest on a few podcasts, so I can't really say it's the first time it's been like the tables have been turned. But I have now got a few more podcasts under my belt. So how many have you done? I guess I should be good at it. Uh, I've done the first ten of this series, but the podcast started out as a um, really a kind of organizational thing where I was I've been interviewing copywriters and creatives for like years. It's just something I've done um but i used to kind of post them on youtube or like have them on a website like just just like weird interviews floating around the internet and i thought well i really ought to get them organized so i thought right i'll, I'll start a proper podcast um, even though there's no need for any of these podcasts we're just all creating these kind of rambling sessions but i kind of liked it and that was the i thought well i'll, I'll organize them then people can find them there's kind of weird like i've got like people like drayton bird who's like a really well-known like salesman and, and writer and worked like number two for Ogilvy and, and it's just some random interview like somewhere on YouTube and I think that's probably not a good thing so I, that's why I started the podcast officially. Um, what's, but, your, what's your podcast called? Uh, it's called the All Good Copy Podcast. Um, I've been using the monkey at All Good Copy for a few years now. Um, I don't know why. Actually I think I do know why. I, I always wanted to open a bookshop that was just called All Good Books. And it would only have like seven good books in it. So it was like ultimately curated by, <laughs> by me. And you'd go in and just go, oh, what's new this week? So I kind of had that all good idea. And then because I was copyright, I thought, well, I'll do all good copy as well. That you would only see good copy in these places. So, so your background is, where did you start in business? You were... Yeah, so uh, my background is... There's kind of two parts to my background. My, the first part of that um, was growing up in Grimsby and Cleethorpes, and I wanted to be a bank manager. That was my ambition. Uh, I don't know why. You I'd, wanted to be a bank I manager. I wanted to be a bank manager. I'm one of the okay. few people whose ambition it was to be a bank manager. And, and the weird thing is it wasn't about like having loads of money. <laughs> it was more the bureaucracy and the admin of it, just to look after money. Um, but weirdly, I, I, w- I wanted to be a bank <laughs> manager. And uh, I did my work experience at TSB. It was at the time down St. Peter's Avenue, Yep. Um, which is, is a gross detail. But I, I told my partner the other day and she laughed because... 
I, I was so nervous on that work experience day. I spewed up outside St. Peter's Church. I told you, it's a, it's a gross detail. Yep. But I was that nervous about <laughs> going to work like in this bank for the week. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to be a bank manager. And so I studied economics, um, politics and business um, locally. It's a Cleethorpe sixth form. And then I used pure nepotism to get into the council. My mum's worked there all, all her life and kind of got me in there. And I started um, in the finance, actually I started in schools, but I, I ended up in the finance place. So I was in the right area and I was working for the audit section. And that all was kind of, so I was in the financial area. I started doing like a um, AT&T or whatever, That's, that sounds like a cold store, but whatever the, the accounting qualification was, I've kind of deleted most of it from my mind, but started doing all that and it was all going well. I was doing nicely and working my way up in the council and what have you. And then, so that was kind of part one. And then something went weird in my head and I don't know what it was. And I've, I kind of spent my time thinking about this, but I just decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and it was at the time kind of the council was going through one of those reshuffles that it always seems to do and kind of rejuvenating so like the, the redundancies were lurking and all this kind of thing i think that might have been something to do with it i don't know but something went weird in my mind and i realized i was more creative than i probably gave myself credit for um i've always played music and i've always played in bands uh but other than that outside of that i was never a a big reader or anything like that um but around the age of this was probably about 22 i think the maths don't really work if you kind of analyze my history but i think it was around that time and i suddenly started writing silly little stories or my experiences and at the same time i started reading now i'd read when i was younger all my peer group were really kind of intelligent people who have all gone on to like be teachers and academics and stuff like this and so I read like Orwell's and Ulysses and all this kind of stuff but I didn't really understand it and I didn't get it and I didn't enjoy it really because I didn't it was above me but then I suddenly started reading I discovered writers that were more f what I would describe as fun so people like uh, Brace Nellis and Douglas Coupland and kind of those American writers that were cool and like doing stuff like that and I discovered Woody Allen not very hip to say that these days because there's always accusations against him and everything. But I discovered not only his films, but he wrote a lot of short stories uh, earlier in his career. And they were funny. And I didn't realize you could write funny. I, I thought you had to write 1984. Like that was the only option. You had to write a dystopian novel. Um, but I realized you could kind of be funny in writing. So I started doing that myself. And I started telling these little funny stories and jokes. I used to live in uh, Pelham... Pelham Avenue in town and it's the Dudley Street crossroads there it's a big old crossroads and it's really hard to get across if you're trying to walk across it so I wrote a, sh wrote a sh short story about the world street crossing championships where like they <laughs> try and cross the street and then there was a celebrity one across Coronation Street and all this and just stuff like that that was like pithy and, and silly but quite funny and quite was well received by people who were reading it so as the council was ending and I was kind of just, <laughs> council was ending, no more council. Uh, as my time in the council was ending and I was just not into it anymore, luckily someone got me doing a night class at Franklin. It was like two hours a week. Um, and the teacher there, he was a young guy, uh, Phil, who he spotted, I think, I can't remember and I don't, don't want to be too arrogant, but I think he kind of said, you're quite good at this. Like this is quite good writing what are you doing with it? And I was like, well, I don't know. I, I work in audit. I, I've got no plans. 
blah, blah, blah. And so he said, well, they're starting doing a professional writing degree at Grimsby College. And so I said, well, maybe, I don't know. Like, so I went to see the guy and essentially, long story short, uh, I quit my job at the council and became a much mature student at the age of like 22 or something. I don't, it's not really a mature student, but technically I was a mature student. And I started studying writing. Um, and the way I always say it is I kind of knew how to write, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and what that degree taught me was all of the actual names for the techniques and things that I was doing. Did that, um, got whatever honors and stuff you do with degrees and everything. And then I figured, figured, well, I've got to get a job writing now. How do you do that? And unfortunately, at the time in Grimsby is all I knew was that the only way you get a job writing in Grimsby was to work for the Telegraph. And I didn't want to be a journalist. I, I knew that specifically. I knew I didn't want to report on things. I Why wanted was to that? be more creative. Because I, wanted, I didn't want to just tell someone else's story. I'd been kind of counting other people's money in audit. And I, I wanted to create. And I, and I think if I look back on it, um, and I do overanalyze stuff anyway, but I think it was that creativity that I needed and wanted. So I thought, well, how do I get a job um, writing book reviews, being a novelist, th these things don't happen in real life. You have to get an actual gigging job where you have to write. Didn't really know that. I applied for so many jobs. I remember sat in that flat in uh, Pelham Road and uh, I applied for s every junior writer job there was outside in the world and was getting nowhere. I had like weird phone calls with people where they were like, oh no, you need two years experience writing. And I was like, well, how the hell do I get two years experience writing if this is the two years experience writing job and, and at one point I can remember a guy laughing and saying yeah you're right it is a bit of a like, paradox <laughs> yeah. and I was like right this is ridiculous luckily I saw one job advert um, in London for a company I didn't know the company the the name of the person who you applied to was fake because I later found out when I got employed that he didn't want people like calling him and like asking questions. Um, so I couldn't find any detail about it. And it was written in this really weird way. It was kind of like the tone of voice for it was like almost like, are you a clown? You're going to, you're going to make tea for people. You're going to do this. Like you're going to be like this absolute dog's body, bottom of the rung thing. Don't want a CV. Uh, we don't want to see anything like that. All I want you to do is send me two pieces of writing and um, sell me a suit in 500 words. And so I was kind of at the end of my tether, applied for all these jobs, was getting nowhere, and I was uh, hung over. I remember this specifically because we had this really crap computer in the corner of the room, like this was a few years ago, and, and I wrote a short story in the style that I was doing these silly short stories about how Jesus got the job as, of Son of God. And it basically, he was this crap carpenter, right? I made up this story where he's this rubbish carpenter, couldn't get a thing. But he saw on the, the wall in Jerusalem that there was job advertised for son of God. Went along, he was rubbish, but he just happened to have this beautiful suit on that had like the best lining in the world. And the angel Gabriel's there and God's there and goes, look, you're an absolute shambles, but if you give me that suit, you can be the son of God. And that's my suit company had descended from that kind of secret. <laughs> so it was madness. It was quite funny. Yeah. I look back on it now and like the spelling mistakes are insane and all this kind of stuff. But it was funny and the, and the creativity was there and the idea was there. Luckily, the guy who had wrote the ad was mad himself and had seen something in that. More importantly, and rel uh, 
more relevant to copywriting, which is what we'll kind of talk about a bit more. But what I'd done was take the suit and instead of talking about its features and um, those standard things that most people talk about, I'd turned it into a narrative. I'd, I'd looked at the the benefits of the suit and, and told a story around it. Now, that guy who employed me was had the wherewithal to see that I'd done that. And luckily, went down to London, got this interview, turned up. The guy, like at one point, asked me like what experience I had. I was like, "Well, I've got, I've got a first with honors <laughs> in in creative writing," and he just went, "Oh, get you." And I thought, "Well, I've just wasted three years doing a degree to for you to throw that out." So <laughs> after all, I needed yeah. was my writing. Anyway, went through that, and it turned out it was it, by pure chance it was this massive financial publishing company. Uh, I went to the interview. I can remember leaving and, and ringing my mum afterwards and saying. I don't know what they do, um, but I want the job because of the, the nature of the interview. We had a great interview. We just laughed for an hour. I was wearing a, a tan suit. I, I, after I'd quit the council, I like threw away all my ties and like all my suits. So I only had this beige suit to wear and I looked an absolute pillock. And I turned up and, and the guys there, there was two of them who are friends now, but they're like dressed like punky as I would normally have dressed at the time. Yeah, I'm in a tan suit. And they said at the end, have you got any questions? And I said, not really questions, but I'd just like to apologize for what I'm wearing. You like, apologize not... for you. And, yeah, and the guy said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll drag you by your ear through the office and throw you out. And I thought, well, either I'm going to sue him afterwards or I've got the job. It's like <laughs> one of those two things. Anyway, worked. turned out it was this massive financial company who um, basically have created their success by using something called and there we get to the point, direct response copywriting. They've been writing these long copy sales letters that encourage people to buy their products. And it was that where I found myself uh, in this office surrounded by like millionaire people who have like used this to generate millions. And I was very lucky um, and very uh, timed it enormously well because the American owners at the time were in London um, so was taught by them and taught how to do all this copywriting by these millionaire successful people who had, had decades of insight into it and little old Glenn from Grimsby had accidentally kind of stumbled into this office, did this thing, flash forward and just worked through that and just discovered all these different ways of uh, persuading people. Um, I was going to say sal- selling people, but one of the things about sales is that it's not really about selling, it's about persuading it's about um it's about agreeing with people i always say people say oh these long sales letters and i go well they're not really sales letters they're they're arguments they're they're a narrative they're they're an argument for why i think you should buy something and if you think of sales in that way i've found over the years i've been doing this now that um you lose a lot of the cynicism that goes with selling like I've, i've come across it's a very cynical world sales of any of any description and especially uh the, when you're using the written word you can go you can go outside anywhere um in any street in any magazine in any any form of, of written sales messages and there's so much cliche there's so much cynicism there's so much self-awareness of it being a piece of sales material that that in in turn makes it more cynical and people are more cynical about the way they sell when really if you just talk about the thing you're trying to sell as though you love it as though you're making an argument for it then it's just much more successful i've found um 
but so, yeah. So have you got an example of the um, first of all the typical cynical way that people so sell? I think I'm trying to think of a specific example. Um I don't know. It's a bit of a dodgy one because um it's very loaded in current political and um and you'll see what I mean. And I, I talked about this with someone else recently on an interview, but um, there was a big furore recently over the Gillette commercials where they tried to incorporate the Me Too movement and they kind of said, well, come on, men, we need to be better about who we are and everything. Oh, uh, yeah, kind of I remember seeing And generally, I don't like to get involved in slagging <clears throat> advertising off because I just think somewhere behind that there is someone who's trying to make a living and, and produce that work. And yes, with fresh eyes, we can all criticise stuff, but when you're in the moment and you've got an hour to do this piece, then you might get something crap out of it. With the Gillette thing, I don't think there's that excuse because there's going to be a massive agency discussing it all day long. Someone should have seen that this was not a good idea. But if you think about that, um, the, and the reason you ask about it, the cynicism, someone sat there and thought, how do we sell Gillette razors? And they thought, well, it would be good if we attach to this positive movement because it, that's a good thing. But they shouldn't have done that because that's that's cynicism. They've, they've literally looked at that positive movement and thought, how do we attach this thing that is very tenuously linked to that movement? Um, and they, but someone went ahead and did it, and what was produced got absolutely slated. I follow a lot of copywriters and stuff online, and a lot of people talking about sales. There's people like Mark Ritson and and what have you all saying this is not good stuff. Like you have buggered up here and and Gillette have like taken a knock because of it. That for me is cynicism. If they really cared about that movement, I think they should have gone, actually, well, we'll figure out a better sales uh, avenue. Meanwhile, we will put some money and sponsor or do something to give money to that movement. Uh, that would be in a more natural way. It's a bit, it's not, it slightly shows the cynicism, but that to me is where you've gone, all right, okay, let's try and attach to that. Whereas what they should have done is saying, well, why would people buy our razors why why do people need them why are our, why is our product better if you keep asking those questions and keep asking why about your product or alternatively there's only two kind of routes you can go either you look at your product or you look at your audience you could look at the audience and say why do they need our product what are they seeing and what are they different uh, doing differently they will give you more uh, sincere ways to market in my mind they will give you the messages that will allow you to be sincere it's just that simple question why i say it's the best word any copywriter can have it's the best word in marketing to ask why and just to keep asking why 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 until you get to a unique element if you pick on that that will give you a sincere message uh, and sincere authentic is a, another word i use all the time but that's what you're looking for rather than just going oh well we want to get on that because that's a big dollar kind of thing. That's it's like Bill Hicks joke. I'm kind of subverting it because he said, if you're in marketing, kill yourself. And then he goes, oh, I know, what you, I know what you're saying. You're going for the kill yourself dollar. But it is, you want to be as authentic as possible. And that that's the route to good selling. Um, and the idea needs to be, there's a million other things. The idea needs to be strong and all this kind of thing. And there's loads of technical things. But at its heart, I think cynicism um, is probably the I'm, I'm making a massive generalization now uh, but my hi my hypothesis I'm invented in this room is that cynicism is probably the number one um, cause of bad advertising um, there we go <laughs>
that's I'm on record saying that. <laughs> you I've invented now. it. It sounds like it might be right. I'm not sure, but attributed to you yeah. now. <laughs> so the, I just want to back up a little bit. So mm-hmm. the the transition from bank to council to yes. then to then copywriter so that was part in this one odd, and part two odd business yeah. down in London. They was that hard? Did it take was that hard? So you went from a like a traditional yeah grimsby um, education yeah <laughs> to, in writing a, to a traditional grimsby education to then ryan the sales copy essentially it was dead weird um i was enormously lucky um on two fronts front number one the sincere side my family was incredibly supportive my mum my knew more than me how much of a struggle it would be to go from living in grimsby and living in that kind of money bracket and what have you to being paid f all so they they offered you the job and you moved straight down to london oh yeah i took it and i the 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 interview for my flat in london was harder than the interview for the job um and this to give that some context i basically i remember me and my mum was sat there looking through i think it was called like rent or loot or something like this big yellow like like the target kind of thing but for properties in london and we're looking through it and and my money side of things was like hackney 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 and then it just said south kensington and we were like isn't that where princess diana lives or something like that (laughs) sounds good so we rang up and i think that one had gone but the woman said oh yeah we've got this other room in south kensington like it's not on the market yet you can come and look at it and we're thinking south kensington like this sounds a bit lardy down it was dead cheap and what have you anyway i went down got off the tube little glenn from grimsby and uh, got off the tube at gloucester road was like what is going on here I, i'm pretty certain i saw sienna miller walking down the street and i just thought i i want to live here what's going on <laughs> walked into this beautiful like brown stone building. i know it's not like new york but the old school like almost gothic looking building met this woman luckily i i'd i, I didn't call myself a writer at that point i've only just really started doing that but um at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, I've got a writing job. So she was like, oh, I was a writer. That's all right. She gave me this grilling about, like, living there, what do you do, all this kind of stuff. And as I said, it was more intimidating, that interview for this flat. Anyway, we take up, and it's a room as big as the room we're in now. It's like, what's this, six by ten or something. It was literally, I had a bed. Next to the bed was the sink, and then there was a table and a chair at the end. The, the oven was a looked like a microwave is all I can describe it but inside the microwave thing was the oven and on top was two hobs which nearly killed me numerous times as I fell asleep with like the pizza in the oven but took that and so I'd got this fantastic flat basically in um, South Kensington it was like 11 doors down from Kyla Minogue's house I was later to discover as I nearly got attacked by paparazzi one day so I'm living in South Kensington the job I'd got was in Sea Container's house, which is where Ogilvy is actually based now. It's on the on Blackfriars Bridge. So I'd get every morning, I'd get out of my beautiful like flat in South Kensington, get the tube, like you imagine you get the tube in London when you're growing up around here kind of thing. Got off at Blackfriars Station, walked across the Thames every day and into this brilliant office overlooking the river and I was like what what is happening like this is fantastic so I had this immense green setup of course I wasn't being paid very much at the at the beginning so but my mum was and, and family was very supportive and I always remember ringing up I mean I might have made this story up but I tell it enough that it's become fact now but I'm pretty sure at the time I, I, I'd ring my mum and go I need a fiver 
need to borrow fiber. And she was like, why are you not eating? I was like, no, no, I've had, I'm eating toast. I stopped eating a long time ago. This is just so I can go to the pub and buy a drink to socialize because I knew I needed to get in with people and, and network and what have you kind of thing. But I, I, want, I needed to be part of it. So that's why I'd be like borrowing the money to actually go and socialize, which sounds like ludic ludicrously like, oh, that's, that's dead hard. But it was like weird living like, I was like a tramp walking around Kensington kind of thing. I was like the poorest man in Kensington <laughs> at the time. But it was, it was fantastic. And it was like, young guy, moved to London, literally all the kind of cliches. I, I was reading immensely at the time, like just reading loads. So I'd sit there in the pub reading, go to a gallery, do all this kind of stuff. It was just, wow, this is ace. Now, I'd coincided with all my mates kind of moving away from the area. Obviously, I missed people, but we played in bands as well. So we'd always, I've always had a very strong link to all my friends back here. My family's very strong, so I didn't feel like I was too far away. Like I look back on it now, and it's um, there was years. <laughs> it's like um, what's it, agony art kind of thing. There was years where it was like, wow, I was lonely. Now I didn't feel lonely at the time, and I filled it with work. I probably accelerated at such a pace during that time because I was, I'd moved from Grimsby and I was now all alone. I had friends and everything and would go socialising, but the way London works is that you tend to do all your socialising straight after work. So, because you don't, most people are going out of town to go home, so you stay in town. Uh, so that suited me and I would um, go out for beers and friends and thing. but then at the weekends, I was kind of just me. So I'd just fill that time with working, studying, uh, about copywriting and what have you and uh, just got into a real um, kind of workaholic phase and did that for a good four years I think until I got more sociable and uh, life started kind of filling out. Kind wow of four but, years. But yeah I, I like I wrote I remember writing the first letter that made a million pounds on four cans of Cronenberg at like one o'clock in the morning in that flat kind of thing and that was the. Right let's pick that the, apart so the first sales letter that made a million pounds. Yeah, so like so the, the, that the was letters a... that I would write for these financial services were high price ticket items. So like this was like a, probably about a 250 pound course. I don't know what the maths work out of that, but I'd, this letter, probably about 10,000 words um, in all. I'd been writing them for probably, I reckon, I'll say a year. It was, I think it was a bit sooner than that, but for a lot of copywriters in that niche, it takes a good year before you realize what you're doing and, and kind of master that thing. Um, but that was the, f I remember that first one and I remember I was writing it in the evening because I had that time because I, at the weekend and I was sat there drinking my cans at home and doing that. Um, that's not to say you should go and weigh and write all your copy drunk. I've now stopped doing that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, well, it, it works. I was that it well, works. this is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, um, what is it? is it Hemingway who says write drunk and edit sober or something like that? <laughs> but um, it's that idea that don't get me wrong, I would have gone back a lot of, and gone over what I'd read uh, written. Uh, but yeah, no, that was the time when I learned a lot fast because I had that free time. Um, so that that was the biggest shift. You asked about how was that shift between growing up in Grimsby me and my mate Rich just literally sat on a chair watching like weird foreign films and going through the artificial eye back catalogue and to the point where you're watching the most niche stuff you've ever seen kind of thing to actually kind of going right well I'm alone now I've watched all those films what shall I do I'll just work and I'll just 
learn this thing. Do you think that's um? Do you think that's a a good thing that everyone should go through that kind of not loneliness, but the yeah, it's a weird. I'm just going to work myself until I'm. I've thought about this a lot, and because now I'm, I'm, I've moved back to Grimsby, so so that was kind of part two of my life working down in London and the London years um, of whatever will be my terrible autobiography. But then I moved back here um, uh, a year ago, two years. I've lost track of time. But I moved back here and I was lucky enough to meet my now fiance and we got our dog and we've got a nice house and I've seen during that time I was pursuing money in in a in probably an unhealthy way like I kind of think about it now and I, and I I it's one of those things and I don't know the answer and I'm still figuring it out but I wouldn't change how I did things because that gave me the drive I have and it's got me to a good place but I feel as though like if I if I went back and told uh, say oh Glenn what are you doing now I'd maybe have not panicked as much that that was the, it was always there was always that panic and I've still got that now I still have that panic um, about about everything I'm quite an anxious person like deep down um, I have a very good front for covering that but I am anxious and and I think it's worth talking about that I'm very interested by that um, because a lot of people assume you see someone doing well or doing this and what have you, and they're like, oh, they, oh, imagine if it was just like that and you could have all that. I'm pretty sure that we can all agree that we know behind even David Beckham sat there going, oh, bugger, like, I'm worried about this thing. Like, will I get a good player for Miami, into Miami or whatever, his football team is, whatever. There's an anxiety at all those levels. I'm very interested in that. So I would have probably liked to have toned down a little bit of that during those years and had more focus um i feel as though if i had have had focus i might have gone further i don't know or i might have just had more fun but then what am i complaining about i had fantastic fun we had amazing like decade in london that was fantastic um but yeah but there is a there's something about i'm not, I'm not sure you you were, you were kind of alluding to the question of like would you is that a good thing? Um, yes, there's many positives, but then there's there's drawbacks as well, mm. um, and we all end up in the same place. Not in the we all end up in a coffin kind of thing, but we all end up in a same um, older p- analyzing mode. Like I, I always remember my friend. One of my friends is uh, he's taken a different route in life where he didn't really have a plan, so to speak. My plan was go to London, get a job in a company, like make money. That was really all my plan was. I didn't really kind of think about it, but it seemed like I had a plan. This other guy didn't really have a plan, but he just wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I was like, oh yeah, but how do you do that? And we've had very different lives to this point, but then now we get to where we are and we we met up again recently and we're both kind of in the same place. We've both had really good experiences. We've both had bad experiences where are we now we we know what's important friendship family like happiness and and peace and all this kind of stuff it's so it's just a weird thing um i think probably never take yourself too seriously is the thing i was probably so obsessed with like achieving stuff that i was probably taking myself a bit too seriously i, I think but i've not kind of resolved that thought yet come back to me in a year 
I will. We're, I will. We're, 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 we're floating at the top of the dock tower <laughs> in a zen position. <laughs> so, um, so did you burn yourself out? Is that why you came back to Grimsby? What was the the reason for leaving the, the no, good job I just, in London? I, I got old, um, really, and I just things changed a little bit. Um, I met my partner, and we touch wood are incredibly happy in in a way I've not been before. Um, and we kind of found each other's match a little bit, and it's a beautiful, fantastic thing, and we, we still laugh today. I, dedication in my book was very serious. I said, thank you for making me laugh every day, and that is a massively important thing, and I think that's part of the reason we're good together. But for that reason, we then got a dog, and um, people who follow me on the internet will be familiar with my dog because I have turned him into some kind of marketing legend um, and he's probably more famous than me now but um, we got a dog and what have you and uh, things were changing in the office like I knew that I I was kind of managing all the time and I, wa- I wanted to write so I wasn't writing as much as I used to so I'm not using my core skill um, so it just worked out that I could carry on doing that but do it freelance I had the book kind of flowing along as well that was coming out uh, I had a house here um, because of the nature of um, London property I basically made the decision whilst I was still living in London I bought a house back in Grimsby because I've got such strong family connections here and friends for a while it was just like an extraordinary self-indulgent library that I just kept all my books here and I lived in London and then I was it was only because I probably met Ruth that we decided to live in that house kind of thing I could have equally met Ruth in London and stayed in London kind of thing um but yeah and I'm (laughs) I get stick for it but I kind of I've always liked Grimsby and like Cleethorpes and like this area and I like having that chip on my shoulder of being a small town kid and who's done well or whatever. Um, but I also realized, and it's thanks to the company I was working for, like we traveled all over the world. I've played in bands all my life and toured around the country. So I've always, I've never seen a reason why you can't be everywhere. And, and like globalization or whatever has kind of helped with that and remote working and stuff. But I, I just don't feel that you have to be in one place anymore and and I kind of that the timing of all of all the changes in my life worked well and I've thankfully discovered that that is the case that you can do things everywhere and it's it's a very free world if you work hard and put the time in everything there's there's hard downsides to that uh, but there is massive pros so so that was part three of the life kind of coming back here and kind of we got engaged I've now obscenely fallen in love with this dog that kind of I can't imagine if I was commuting down to London like three days a week and being away kind of thing so um, it worked out well uh, touch wood but I was reading something yesterday and it was saying like it's all about future uh, possible investments in the future and all this kind of stuff and how technology is going to change and it's it, it raised a good question saying well can you imagine how things will change in 10 years not particularly but then if you think how much you've changed in the past 10 years mm. it's insane so like where if there's part four or five of my life i don't know i don't know where that will be and i don't know what i'll be doing in 10 years because so. how old are you 
Uh, I am 37 yeah. now. Um, I was reading something the other day and it was saying, um, if you're struggling with long-term thinking, thinking decades, mm. and then you start to go, oh, okay, I'm only three decades in. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, people, that was it. I, I, I've always been 90, kind of obsessed maybe. with my age a little bit. And I, that, I, I alluded to like racing after stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm, I mean, this is going a bit deep and silly, but I don't know if I'm like, I've got a terrible fear of death or something, but I've always been racing because I'm like, oh God, I've got to do it now. I've got to do it now. And it's like, well, actually, no, like you've got like, by doing that, you're not living in the present and not living in the moment and you're missing out on that kind of stuff. Um, my mum, I always remember to her saying, I still feel like I'm 18 kind of thing. It's as you get older and you do, you go to younger people now and I'll patronizingly say, oh, you've got it all ahead of you kind of thing. Yet at the same time, my 50 odd year old mum would laugh at me for saying that I'm old over the hill now kind of thing. So yeah, it's just about. I had like a eight year old tell me I was old. She said, you're so old, you might die. And, I, and that, that kind of was like, oh, thank you. Um, not sure where that came from. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, um, getting older. And yeah, I've got like the forty thing coming, like in a few years. But I yeah, don't know. It's I, not. I don't know. That's not bad, is it? Yeah. No, I don't. The thing that got me was when you get to fifty, and then you think, okay, fifty, and then you think, oh crap, in ten years I'll be sixty, and then that for me. Yeah. Sorry to anyone out there who's like yeah. reaching sixty, but for me that's like oh, like that's, that's dub- almost double. Where we are now, yeah, but like it's dead weird because I, I think my dad's coming to sixty, and then you start looking at like different. You look at their life, and I think, well, they're nowhere near like claiming the pension and doing all that kind of stuff. No, it like, doesn't seem like it anymore. It's dead. It's dead weird. Uh, I mean, I'm incredibly immature, so that um, helps. Um, I sweat enormously, which is. I think keeping me relatively young looking and kind of keeping myself moist enough to like look quite young. Um, although I've noticed my facial hair has started to like finally grow. I've been wanting to grow for so long and now I actually have to shave and I'm kind of annoyed by that. Um, but I, be careful, I am, be careful what you wish uh, yeah, for. Yeah, no, I, I've always knew this would come. I complained the other day thinking I've got to shave again. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm a young person. I'm silly. Uh, Ruth's a bit younger than me. So, it's it's all kind of fine, um, but yeah, I don't think there's any need to worry just yet. Touch wood. But. No, you, we've got plenty of time. Yeah. Um, so now you're freelance. So you're a, what's your official title? Freelance copywriting um, expert. Yeah. Um, I don't know what my title is. Uh, I. But this is the benefit of being being a freelance. Your own, but you can yeah, make up your own it's, title. It's a weird thing. Like I've. I'm, I guess I'm a writer, and I, I alluded to it earlier that I didn't call myself a writer for many years. Um, I'm a copywriter. I'm, I, I know I'm good at copywriting, so I, I must be a copywriter in one way. At the same time, I'm now an author, so I've done books. Uh, I do talks, so I'm a speaker. Um, I don't play the bass as much, but I used to be a bassist. I, I'm all these different things. I am ultimately, I guess, a writer, and I have ambitions to write not just copy, not just business books kind of thing. I do, I would like to write more. I don't know what um, the, the next book I'm working on will probably be a bit more broad than the copywriting book I've written. Um, it was a weird, it was a great, I keep saying weird, but it was, a, it is weird. It does seem weird to me always, but it was a great 
moment to be published and to see it on Amazon and stuff and go, oh, I am, and it kind of says in brackets, author on the on Amazon, and you're like, well, I am. Oh, wow, like, I've been kind of playing it down or whatever you, but yeah, I am an author, and it, it gave me permission to think, oh, well, actually, yes, yeah, someone else has, has independently deemed me an author and a, and a writer. Uh, so that was good, um, and that kind of gave me that extra string and confidence to think well actually yeah i, I kind of know what i'm talking about in, and in the book writing. is the art of the click the art of the click yep um which is all about how you do what i've been doing for the past decade um but more usefully to people because not everybody wants to learn how to write 50 page sales letters it's using all of the persuasive techniques and um Elements of research, elements of understanding your audience, uh, elements of tone of voice, elements of um, how to think about writing, and then really technical stuff as well, like using the word you instead of I, or um, ending a sentence with a word that you want people to remember and stuff like that. Um, literally getting people to the next line, cutting your copy up so it's more readable, using actual people don't like fk score and everything because they get riled by it but actual what's that the fk score i wrote a piece on this recently and it's one that always gets people especially writers they hate it it's basically it was in it's the flesh kincaid score it's called it's invented by a guy called uh, rudolf fleisch and uh j peter kincaid that might be wrong but it's something like that and they did it for the army the u.s army and um they wanted to for all the technical manuals they wanted to speak in the most clear way and they basically came up with this grading score that if you used smaller um, words and sentences, it would be clearer and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's really rudimentary and like, don't go out writing to use that, but it's a good way of checking your message. If it's got a, a score of um, uh, seven or above, it's probably too convoluted and hard to understand. It just so happens that messages that are below that score are um, easier to read and easier to understand. It's a good way of checking. If you if you read a piece of copy and you don't know what the hell it's saying, chances are you run it through the FK score and you'll find it's got a higher FK score because you if you speak in longer um, rambling sentences like you do on a podcast, like if, if we put this into um, that into Word and transcribed it and, and think, God knows what the score would be. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> But when it comes to copy, you want to be succinct and um, use simple words. Um, and so I use that to kind of check stuff. So that's a tool that I talk about in the book. Stuff like that from technical to, but then to kind of like, who is your audience? How do you figure out your audience? All this kind of stuff. And I put this all there. And it was, so it was all of those techniques that I've been using for years in these big letters they can all be used in everything. It's direct response copywriting is what I was um, taught in. And now everything's online. Um, everything is about getting a direct response. Yes, there's the world of branding and everything, and that's fine, and that's got its own rules. But if you want someone to click on a Facebook advert, if you want to click them, click on a website, if you want to reply to an email, if you want to um, double-click to like your Instagram picture, all of these things are a form of direct response. You're eliciting a direct response to your piece of copy or your image or what have you. So I suddenly realized 
when I kind of stepped back a little bit, and it was thanks to the publisher as well, they kind of looked at what I'd written and saw that there was an opportunity for a broader application of this. I suddenly realized, actually, in this modern world, everything I've been learning and doing is more than applicable in the digital world. So it's trying to provide different businesses, different people, writers, designers, marketers, anyone um, out there who needs to uh, make their message clearer or ultimately get more customers is, is the aim of the game, um, trying to get them to use these direct response techniques in their content and copy and they are they fairly easy i would say um yes so if a, if a business owner picked the book up read it yes to back i i i would say yes of course i would say yes because i'm biased <laughs> i am obscenely honest and i would say yes i think it is easy to apply i'll, I'll add a disclaimer to that uh, but also the, some of the reviews i've got have been really pleasing that businesses that i would have never imagined um, there was one chap who did a lovely review who's got a, uh, like a, I can't quite remember the full details, but it's like a snooker business, like selling snooker equipment or something. And he'd used all the principles to like improve the copy on his website. And I thought, well, how brilliant is that? So from me writing financial advice to this guy selling like snooker cues, great, you can apply it across the board. And I've seen it applied across the board. Um, I think writing is how do I say this? Communicating with your customers or potential customers is easy. The writing, the actual physical writing is, is quite hard sometimes and that's what people struggle with. I always say I hate writing. I'd much rather be able to just think and it appear on the page. Like if I can just skip the writing bit, I like the researching, I like the editing, I like crafting sentences, but that actual laborious task of getting words out on the page is kind of a bit annoying. That yeah, people the, don't always understand what I mean when I say that. I think I get like, it. The blank page would stare yeah, back at you. It's just it's the act of getting that idea because yeah. I can't type fast and I can't write fast, but my brain's going fast. So I could create a five hundred word article now, like just reel it off. But if I'm writing it, it takes a little extra time for me to get it out. Have you tried those dictation apps? Yeah, I, they work? I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I see you're complaining, but I've never tried anything like that. And I, I so I, I kind of contradicted myself in the sense that I do I like think the craft of it. But I could, I could use them. I've tried a few. Like um, it just reminds the me iPhone's that. got one built in in the keyboard. Yeah, which I was fully like, work. That's mm, my that Siri's pretty bad at understanding. Yeah. Request so that keyboard's gonna be bad, right? And I tried it with some text messages, and it, it nailed long ones. Really, oh, and even well. to the point where you're like, you know, you're saying full stop and space and return, and it yeah, kind of gets my, it. My gut feeling is that it would be pretentious to dismiss um, the art of speaking into your phone like that because I write, um, I will write my books in my laptop, but then some writers would call me a like. Um, What's the word? Philistine. <laughs> Why? Because what they, they, they should be writing it with a quill on a on a notebook. Oh, I was going to say typewriter, but yeah, no, quill typewriter. We'll skip. Wow. We'll go straight back to quill. Um, I don't think anybody writes with a quill, but like Paul Auster, who's one of my favorite novelists, I know he writes out by hand. I don't write out by hand. I do a little bit, but not really. And I'm I'm not going to go back and do it out of some kind of form of pretension. So yes, technology changes, and would it be? as valid for you to would you know that i've read it aloud i mean i re read all my copy out aloud anyway 
uh, so as you, a check. So it's so hold on, you read it aloud. What to, once I've written to it audibly hear how yeah. it sounds. Okay, yeah. so Does that one, help? one of the best ways of so this is what I'm talking about when I say that communication is actually really simple. Anyone can do this bit. So if you want to, um, if you're worried about like writing your own copy or whatever, read it out aloud. Say it, write it down how you would say it out uh, out loud. Um, and you will see that that's probably close to good copy. It needs a bit of editing. It will need um, figuring out a little bit and playing with, and that's where you'd probably get an expert in to try and do that. And I might be being silly and thinking that anyone can just read stuff out and do it. But part of me does believe that if you edit, if you've got to do the editing afterwards, but I will re everything I write, once I've done it, I will read it out aloud to myself and literally out aloud into the room to the point where the dog's looking at me thinking who is this guy talking to um, because if you stutter if you cringe if you can't get through a sentence ultimately the reader is going to have the same experience so you've got to um, in their head they might not be doing it out loud but that's a sure way to improve the clarity of your communication uh, one thing we used to do with these big long letters is get the poor editor who you'd be writing for to read it out to us so i'd write it on your behalf and i'd ask you to read out my writing and i would sit there diligently and every time you stuttered i would make a note because you aren't my my writing has not captured your voice in the right way you would say it in a slightly different way and i want to try and emulate that as much as possible a, to get the authenticity of your voice, um, but also for clarity that that's how people speak. And we can generally read um, better, not all the times, there's nuances to all of this, but if you're looking to get a clear message, you want to be writing how people really speak, not using flowery words, not using long, weird sentences and stuff, chopping, stopping and moving on to a different sentence and leaving ideas around. There's loads of different situations where you need to do that but um yeah reading aloud is something i would always do so i guess the original question was is it easy to apply it's all in themselves dead easy things there's just a lot of it so you've kind of just got to take a bit at a time and go yeah right well i'll do that this time i'll improve my message by making sure i've got loads of white space around it this time and then you start eventually you take these things on so now i will write automatically with a low fk score because that's how i've been doing it for so long um but if you, you just apply one at each time but yeah it's, it's easy you don't need an expert <laughs> it's just Do, quicker. doing yourself out of a job then. well you, this is the this <laughs> is the point though that nothing in this world you can do everything yourself ultimately i could figure out how to fix my car if i wanted to yeah. but it would just take me a long time and i haven't got that time i'd rather do it doing something else that I enjoy or if I'm a business owner would I rather spend hours trying to craft a message that's clear um, or would I rather go and get new customers and do a deal and some networking and pay someone to do that it's all the return on investment and you measure it how you would measure it kind of thing so that's the way I, there's never don't get me wrong if you want to write it and do it if you enjoy that do it but I would probably find your strength and then double down on your strength don't try and improve your weakness kind of thing yeah, especially if you're a business owner, you've got a million things to do yeah. already. Yeah, I think that's it's one of the things um, I I was bad at. I was doing everything. Mm. I try and do too much. Yeah, I still I, try. Yeah, 
It's you've but, got it because you because you love it partly. A lot of business sometimes entrepreneurs don't love admin. Like, no one no, can I, love that. I, I, the book's been turned into an audio book uh, next, and they came to me saying, "Oh, do, do you want to read it, or we can go out to professional readers?" Now the arrogant performer in me was like, "Oh yeah, I want to read it," but then the realistic Glenn, you've got loads of work to do said well actually i ain't got time to do this kind of thing and, and the costs involved and what have you so luckily we found a really nice guy who's like really good and sounds much better than me is much more eloquent and can speak better and is a trained actor <laughs> to read it out kind of thing but it just it reminded me of that kind of idea of actually no glenn let someone else do that you focus on like writing the next book so someone's got that if i did it myself it would take me hours whereas or days even this guy can do it in hours and it's just it's the same with why would you hire a copywriter it's because they can do it quicker and and more efficiently than you might be able to yep something that took me a long time to learn that yeah um <laughs> so I, I bought a house my our first house and uh, it was a complete gut it start from scratch job and um yeah, so I tried to do everything. So I chased the walls for the electric yeah. guy because I was like, right, that'll save me some money. <laughs> uh, help with the plumbing. Um, what else did we do? Uh, didn't help with the plastering because that's just, uh, well, yeah. a, a skillful job. But everything else pretty much helped with. Did the bathroom myself, tiling, uh, kitchen, uh, what else? All the decorating. And then by the end of it, I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm knackered. I don't know what it would have cost me to get someone else to do it, but... If I ever bought another house, I was like, I'm not doing all that again. Yeah. I, no, I, you, it's funny when you talk about the house. We've still got um, some uh, coving that's cut around the uh, extractor fan because we, we tried to kind of do everything ourselves. And by the end of it, Ruth is just like, we are never, like when we move, we are getting people in to do this. Like, this is just not, um, you shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this. Like, we're, A, we're doing it crap. Yeah. We're trying, we're, it's always obvious that you've done it yourself yeah and it's just like and it's not worth the time like you've I, one thing i have learned we talked right at the beginning about um would i advise myself to be that drip like chasing stuff when i was younger and everything one thing i've learned and i'm learning still is the importance of of your time like that's the value the, the money is is one thing but your time is the most value. I know this is like the cliched kind of, oh my God, he's realized kind of thing. But you, the time you have and the time you spend with your friends, your family and all this kind of stuff, and the time you do fun things like going to cinema or reading a book or um, watching telly or whatever, that's the important thing. And as soon as you start thinking in regards to time, so rather than like, oh, how much is this worth to me? like money-wise, you think, well, how much of this time will it take me? You start to look at things in a slightly different way and it allows that delegation lesson mm. that we're all taught for years, get someone else to do it, delegate, the importance of delegation and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah and I'll get it. And then you go, oh, it'd just be faster for me to do it because these idiots can't handle it kind of thing. But like, actually, long-term, you should train up the person to be able to do it. Your time, eventually, you can't do it all yourself. Um and your time is worth more than that return on investment. What the re the return on investment of doing X is um, not as high as your time is worth. If that makes sense, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think um, I think it's 
the, the you said it, you know the cliche thing but i think it is an enlightenment thing you just get to a certain point in your life where you're like actually my time is worth more than x yeah, yeah you've it's... saved um and the, the way that i it was described to me was if you were to i don't know you let's say you're writing and you're getting paid x amount per hour to write if you were at home i think this guy used the the uh the analogy of you've got washing and ironing and the, the lawn to mow well what would you if you weren't mowing the lawn and you were paying someone 10 pound an hour 20 pound an hour to do it what would you be earning if you use that time to go and do the work that you'd get paid to do sure, and then yeah. you start looking at ah, oh, actually yeah and in a business um i think the guy it was james sinclair I, th- I think it was him who said this and he was he was a really big big advocate for hiring um i think his first hire was a bookkeeper in his business um and he said once i did that the amount of extra time i had to go and earn more money because yeah. i wasn't wasting it doing book bookkeeping which no one was paying me to do yeah. just saving a few quid a, an hour and he said it, that although he was taking a staff member on it like accelerated his business yeah. and that for me was like a really good way to look at it yeah no it, and the it, family it, thing's a good one as well because yeah there's nothing worse than um trying to explain to your wife no i need to do this work because don't want to pay someone else to do it and they go well, you could be at home we yeah. could be going away we could be doing and yeah, that, that I, for me was like i need to change it. yeah you need you need to change that one and i that's you've got to you i i'll say this because i think it's bigger than just a personal thing i think it's how businesses should think and mm. and how and it comes back to marketing I'm, I'm not trying to be tenuous but marketing copywriting sales any advertising all of this stuff it comes back to the uh, talking about authenticity and cynicism at the beginning. You've got to figure out why you're doing it. And ultimately, if you do it, if you're doing something, again, it's cliche, but if you're doing it because you love it, if you're selling this product because you love product X, um, then that's cool. And that will come across in the way you market. If you're doing it just for the sake of doing it, or it's like it becomes like a rote, it becomes a nine to five job, then you're going to start getting angry you're going to start resenting things and and you're going to start creating cynical marketing it's just not going to flow and be fun and nice i know this is very idealistic but that that to my mind is where so much goes wrong in modern business and obviously as you get older more uh, comfortable more well off or what have you you can you can have some time to sit back and think about this. Don't get me wrong. If you're a young person, you're kind of going, ah, I've got to get this sorted, kind of thing. But as much as I, I, I'm learning, I'm still learning now. But that that whole idea that you've got to, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for a good reason? Then that's cool. If you just think in those terms and just slightly tweak your mindset to what you're doing, I just think you have less of that panic, less of that worry, less of those bad vibes and things don't fail as much because if you if you like if you're doing it for a good reason and you want to do it anyway um then even if it doesn't work you did it for a good reason i always like that about um a a publisher i work with he would always say if one of his letters didn't work he didn't really mind as much because it was a good thing to have written a letter about and and people would have been educated they might not have bought but they were educated. That's a very idealistic way to look at things. But I think there's some uh, use in applying that a little bit more liberally to everything you do in personal life and 
in business. It's what you've got to remember. You've got to stay for as long as you can as close to the reason for why you're doing it. And that mm. comes back to your wife saying, well, why are you doing that? It's because you want to spend time with your wife. So it's it, it seems ridiculous to say, well, I, I'm, I can't spend time with you um, at the moment because I've got to make this to spend time with you. And it's like, well, there's, there's, a, there's a middleman there. It's like, well, no, we need to pay the bills to a certain extent and you can analyze it like that. But it just, yeah, I... I that's what I'm trying to figure out at the moment. I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I don't think you, as I say, when I start floating above the dock tower in my Zen monk position, <laughs> I will let everybody know that I've figured it out, but I haven't quite yet. So um, you obviously now are a, an author. Mm-hmm. Any other authors that you really like out there? Any good business books for people to yeah, check out? Um, I mean, there's loads. Um, I do a thing on my podcast every episode at the end where I specifically don't give business books I give normal books because I just think there's so many business books and people can find them but I think it's always useful to uh, get people's ideas I would say um, at the moment there's a great uh, if you're in if you're interested in um, persuading people understanding how people think uh, and yes marketing and all this kind of stuff but it's more about people that's what marketing and sales is um, book called creative blindness which is by a guy called dave trott um he's like the uber uk sales guy like david ogilvy used to be like the name that everybody and everybody still does like no david ogilvy but these days um dave trott is like the biggest name in that like advertising um so he's really good check out any books by him um, I really like a book, whenever I'm asked this question, I always think of Predictably Irrational by a guy called Dan O'Reilly. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that What's that, that right. about? And what that's about is, it's basically, there's a few, a lot of these business books I find are basically little stories about interesting experiments that were done in like Phoenix, Arizona University or something. And they got 15 people in a room and, oh, they chose the blue smarty over the red smarty and that means you can do this and they all get a bit samey um this one is one of those books because they are useful and them stories are good but i think i just thought the stories were good and they're quite original and it's basically just um stories about um behavioral experiments that have been done to see why people uh, do what they do why they choose different options um and it's saying that th- people are often often predictably irrational is where the, the idea comes from that we actually um we seem like we're irrational beings that we do things against what you'd expect us to do but actually when you look at it from a zoomed out position it's a lot more predictable that's quite an old book and since then you've got loads of like behavioral science stuff that's come out um but i always i think that's a nice one uh, if people haven't heard of it there's a few stories in there that are unique um I also like uh, I like a book by a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk, um, who is like a famous marketer. I, I, you're smiling, so I assume you've heard of Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, it's hard not to have heard of. It's him. hard not, not seen him. him. Yeah, and he gets like slated now, and uh, and fair play because he's kind of intense and like kind of he's he's almost gone we've gone peak gary vaynerchuk kind of thing he's making shoes and like doing ebay yard sales he's just gone kind of weird but the man is obviously successful he's obviously very intelligent and he does know about marketing despite what some big name marketers will slag him off and say he's useless but he he's when he started out he was very authentic 
and he wrote a book called The Thank You Economy, um, which was probably the last Vaynerchuk book I've properly read. But that was all about the idea of thanking people. I mean, it's obvious now, but it was it was at the beginning of social, I think. And he, I, I sound, I hate myself when I, I hear my, the beginning of social. What am I talking about? But it was it was when social media really was starting out, and he he touched on why it's important that social media is treat as a social media. Um, and these the mistake most people make when they're sharing stuff online these days is that they're sharing it in an unsocial way. It's just saying, look at what I'm doing. Yeah. Look at this, blah, blah, blah. No one responds to stuff. No one it, like is social it's about the it. the amount of people. It's yeah. just done. It's just, it's flawed. It's a waste. It creates noise. It creates fear of missing out for yourself, for everyone. It's, it's a flawed um, use of what can be a very effective channel of marketing. I think it was Gary Vee that may, maybe came up with the analogy. He said, you wouldn't walk into a room of, you know, a business network yeah. and just shout at the top of your no. lungs, I've yeah. got this offer for sale, and then just walk out. It's, yeah. it's very it weird is, that is people that, do that. He kind of got that early on. Uh, he's probably, like, turned into his own worst enemy now. I mean, I'm not going get to get into, like, the, the pros and cons of Gary Vee. People will find him, and he's very successful. He doesn't need a young guy from Grimsby talking about him. He's not going to change, <laughs> change the needle, is it? But, um, but that book was really good, and I, and I do the principles of what he discusses are good yeah they just are i've read it, it yeah it, there's there's some really really good tips yeah, in he's there. good and like if you've not come across if if i say jab jab hook or whatever it, this is where he talks about jab jab you, jab right hook. yeah yeah and you do a little bit a little bit a little bit and you go and give 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 and then go oh by the way can you buy this from me that principle of giving value content and then asking at the end is a universal principle that just works it simply does and he uh, illuminated in a very simple way um, after that, as I say, I've kind of stopped following him a little bit, but because um, it just tires you out after a while. Um, but he that book's really good. And then Steve Jobs, uh, the Walter Isaacson biography of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Which one's that Apple. one? It's the big white one with yeah, okay. Ashton Kutcher on the front. It looks like Ashton Kutcher. He played him in a film, but he actually looks like a young uh, Steve Jobs. But um, it's a big old book, and... People who are not familiar with it, I, I assume you can like get an audiobook version of it or anything. But it's actually really engaging. Uh, Walter Isaacson's a fantastic writer. I read the Leonardo da Vinci um, biography that he did afterwards, which is testament to the writer to be able to write that bigger book on this thing. But yeah, Steve Jobs' biography really just like I, I can remember learning a lot about business generally when I read that book, and it just gave. Like there's stories of that we all know about Steve Jobs and like the famous stories, but there was so much in it that, and the way Isaacson kind of told the story and showed it, I found really enjoyable and illuminating. So I always say that's a good book to read um, for anybody who's interested in business, in what makes people tick. Um, I, I, I think it's worth doing. And I think probably not, when you're talking about sales and marketing, probably people would avoid that. They go for the obvious marketing books, whereas I think that's that can teach you a lot about like how how people think. I looked at it and went, Jesus, that is a big it book. It is a big book. All, all about Steve Jobs. And I kind of didn't want to like um, shatter my, mm. my internal image of Steve Jobs because I was like, oh, I've heard some some things in there that paint him in a different light. 
Is it? Is it a lot about Steve Jobs? I mean, um, a, no, uh, it's a biography. Yeah, but it's, it's about Steve Jobs. I mean, do they tangent off into different there's, areas? There's a little bit like if you watch the film, there was a film made of the book. Which one? Uh, Wasn't there one? Fastbender. Fastbender. I watched that one. It was That's terrible. based on the book. Oh, okay. But it's only based on the. We came out of that because we went like, down in London. We all went as like an office day out to kind of see this film, oh. and we came out and. It was a typical situation where they'd taken all the little details about his family uh, relationship with his daughter or what have you and made that the film. And it's like, well, yeah, because it's not going to be a very fun film if you're talking about business ideas kind of thing. So if you, there's little bits like that in it, but I just think there was, no, there was, there was more about, it. there's far more about business. That There's like, for the hundred pages that film is probably based on is about um, Steve Jobs uh, relationships kind of thing the other 500 base is about business relationships is about how he chose to do what he did how he um, decided that no one could get into a Mac and do these things and had the fights with Wozniak about that kind of thing and that was interesting his um, the way he warmed up products and like we all these days talk another good book is um, I think it's just called launch by by Jeff Walker um, but it's all about warming prospects up. Use the word prospects because I naturally flow into the Americanisms when you do that. But warming uh, people up. We come out these days, especially in social media, it's another massive, obvious mistake. But people come up and go, check out my thing. And then the next day it's gone and disappeared and no one cares about it anymore. Like I say this about my book. I said it about our record when we released our record. The worst thing, the worst moment in releasing anything is the moment you release it because as soon as it's out there, no one cares anymore. Like it's so much harder to sell something once it's there and you can see it and it's real in the world than it is going, I've got this thing coming, it's gonna be fun. I, and it's that launch, that build up is is all about, that's like it's selling the sizzle rather than the sausage kind of thing. It's That is massively like ignored and social media makes that happen because it's all like getting stuff out there and getting stuff out there. And it's like, no, actually, you should warm things up and slow everything down a bit. You can still use social media as the platform and the media to do that, but you need to slow it down in your uh, execution of it. I sound like Gary Vaynerchuk now saying execution. But it's uh, that for me has been a big lesson and a big ob observation about the flaws of many marketing pieces. I will now tweet. I use Twitter quite a lot. Um, and if I've got a, an interview or a, podcast or a, something coming up I will start talking about that weeks before I actually release it and and warm it up is the phrase I always use but you can you launch it or what have you but you make you've got to build that anticipation for what's coming because that's going to give you um, a bigger hit as soon as it's out there people like even around around in Grimsby like I, people take the mick like um, saying, oh, I didn't realise you got a book, Glenn, because I just talk about it all the time. But I've got to, because I've got to sell it, and I've got to get it out there, and I've got to do this thing. I'll try and find interesting ways to do that, and I'll do different things. I'll do a podcast so that I'm not talking about my book, but people are aware of me and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, now and again, I will push it again. But the sales before that, before it was coming, the pre-sales and the excitement around it, um, is much easier to sell stuff um, as soon as it's out there we had it with our record as well like no one 
That's why you release a single off the record before the album comes out. You, you, it's, it's not new. It's not like a new thing. Like Jeff Walker's book is fantastic, but it's not a new phenomenon to build stuff up and go next week on top of the pops. This band are playing, and you're like, oh well, I'm going to tune in next week. It's uh, so it's, it's not a yeah, new idea, I, but it's it's something that everybody should do. And it's the biggest downside of social. Again, saying social like a thing biggest downside of social media is that it creates so much noise that and panic because then you have the fear of missing out you think oh i've got to tweet something today i've got to say this that you don't stop because you think if you stop you're gone <laughs> and people are going to forget about you like and i have it i have days where i'll go i've not tweeted today oh god i'm going to be out of the i'm going to be out of the sphere like no one's going to think and then i and i think that's just how stupid is that like i've got nothing to say today so i'm not going to say anything as soon as i've got something to say i'll warm up and say it kind of thing um but that's been a massive that's a massive problem i think a lot of businesses face and they should think twice about it if we're all just a bit calmer and warm stuff up more the the now you've now you've said it yeah i can see i can see a lot more of how that's been used um everything yeah it's, it's everything tv everything, radio everything like it's, just, it's not new like trailers i mean movie trailers movie are probably trailers, the biggest yeah. of course the biggest way yeah. of doing it yeah. yeah i mean don't don't get me wrong i'm not like no one's claiming to have invented this thing, but we talk about these things like they're yeah but people don't do you're right in the they world. don't do it on on a lot of people businesses don't do it very often they just don't say anything they're all of a sudden boom no, we're doing it, this release like, it's, it it's hard like i always say this like to businesses anyway it, it's really hard to run a business like yeah. it's really hard like it's the world society has created the hardness around it like things just happen people happen and it it's really hard for you to be able to have the foresight and the time and the calm to go right okay well, we're going to do that next year there's a panic of course we live in a world of panic like it's just everything is working against us and it, it, if you there's far more intelligent people than me who have been analysing this for a long time and I imagine if you go to the Adam Kurtz films and stuff like that and like the the 24 hour news media all this kind of stuff like it's it's panic I I, I listen to uh, this might sound weird but I listen to LBC a lot um, and what's LBC? it's um, I, what is it it's, an, it's a radio digital radio show but it has it has predominantly right wing horrible people doing radio phone-ins with predominantly angry um, people that have terrible views. It also has people like left-leaning, like James O'Brien and people like that, who I think they throw in there just for fun, just to mix it up. But like, like Nigel Farage presents a show on there and all this kind of stuff. And the reason I listen to it is because, A, it's this radio phone-in format. You get people talking and you hear how people really speak. You hear how people really think. And you hear their thought processes and you can listen to it in an analytical way. And it gives you an insight into the real audience that you're speaking to. I think a lot of people think they're selling to like a really posh, nice guy on like in their nice house. And they're going, oh, yeah, so they're going to buy that from me. And yeah, that's very nice. No, they're not. They're speaking to real people. Like, and that's for all its sins, that radio show and the shows on it have a lot of real people, sometimes too real. But... I listened to that and I forget where I was going with the point. Um, where was I going with the point? Can anyone remember? Yeah. 
Anyway, this, this so happens I, to it. This is an old age thing, I think. Yeah. You get into your 30s. You no, it's, it's being me and a rambler. But I listened to that show quite a lot. And it's because, oh, so yeah, we were talking about News 24 and the media and all this kind of stuff. I know why I was saying it. I listened to it a lot. And after a while, I suddenly realized I was getting really angry and really kind of like annoyed by things and like I depressed by how horrible the world was. And I thought, that's because I'm listening to LBC all the time. Now, don't get me wrong, LBC doesn't need me to say it's good or bad. Sometimes it's good. But if I listen to it too much, I start to get depressed and obs- obsessed with the world. So I turn on to a podcast. I listen to like the Adam Buxton podcast, which is a fantastic podcast. And, and that's focused, interesting debate. And I do that for a while. And then I'll go dip back into LBC because I do want to do it for an analytical way. But that how I feel about LBC and listening to that is and it's how I feel about social media and I think this is probably how most people feel about social media without realizing it is that they it's so noisy and all this stuff that you think oh god if they're posting every day then I need to be posting every day if they're thinking that then this must be everything you get into this echo chamber that or all this kind of stuff and it's those emotions that are very negative and getting lost on the LBC thing but it was that Anything of everything, if you do anything too much, it's not good. You need to have a balance. And I think um, there's loads of books on like digital detoxes and all this kind of stuff and what have you. But, and me and me and Ruth are like almost daring ourselves to like not use our phone as much at the moment, kind of thing, where we'll, we'll get like nudge each other and going, oh yeah, you're on your phone again, kind of thing. So, like, oh no, no, I want this thing. It, like she was appalled that my screen time said like an hour last week. On average, she went, you are on your phone all day. How have you only got an hour? And I was like, what's yours? She goes, three hours. And I'm going, there's no way you're on my phone, like, <laughs> on your phone as much. So I'm going, oh, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'll admit it. Like, I don't know how I'd only got an hour. I literally am on my phone all the time. But it's all of that stuff. It needs to stop because it's, it's just people will be spending far too much money, time, energy, yeah. emotion on that stuff use social media it's like fantastic for like building uh relationships with customers discovering new customers um engaging with people it's a great way of interacting i use twitter as a a friendship tool i I recently met up with two people who i met on twitter anyway about these weird like meetups kind of thing but i was doing a talk in edinburgh two of the people i've only ever spoke to on twitter came along to the talk we went for a drink afterwards fantastic chatting about it because we're like-minded people and we've met on this platform. So there's loads of benefits and loads of positives. But from a practical, like, here's my two pence takeaway thing, you need to be much more strategic in the way you look at it. If you're not, then you're going to hurt yourself mentally um, more than anything. Yeah, there's a big problem with phones. They're addictive. I mean, they're, they're built, well, more the software is built to be addictive. Yeah, I, I've been, I work with a client who's um, kind of, tapping into that whole idea at the moment uh, and I think they're right to I I think over the next decade it's going to become a massive massive issue um, it just is like we're sat here I've turned my phone over um, the anxiety that that's creating in me <laughs> it's palpable <laughs> you want it, you can't, it's you like, really oh my god like what's happening like and and you do that and it's it's insane it's like madness but it's a modern madness we've not had this before we've never had it i'm old enough to remember getting like the first chat 
thing in on a computer in my bedroom and we had an internet connection and that was it i remember getting a band to come and play in grimsby where i sent them a letter and they rang me on the house phone and my dad shouted upstairs it's mark from mark's um what have you and i went i don't know anyone called mark and then it was this guy from the band kind of thing and i remember that world and i this is getting old this is going well actually was that better was that worse was that nicer was that thing advancements in technology are great but my point being is we've we've not figured out how to deal with it yet um and we will have to at some point like all those things will start going terribly terribly wrong um i think there's already like stats for like relationships breaking up over this kind of stuff and it seems a little bit frivolous at the moment to suggest that but I can see it getting much, much worse, especially with kids as well, like growing up with all this stuff. Um, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. Yeah. It's something I'm, yeah. I'm trying to deal with at the minute. We um, we used to look at parents who, who give their kids like, you know, an iPad and say, oh God, look, they're ruining that child's, yeah. that, uh, their brain, their, their, I don't know, you make up a million things of why it's a bad thing. But as soon as you have a child and it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I don't, this child really needs to be entertained and I'm yeah, yeah. busy trying to sort something out. No, it's, You it's stick a, an iPad in front of them and then instantly, just straight away. Yeah, no, my, a my, great tool, but my friends all dangerous. have children and um, it's a really interesting thing to observe and I, I can, I know it like if Bing comes on, the, the child's like, oh my God, it's Bing and they, sat, they sit there watching it like mesmerized yeah. and that's a great way to do that. There is massive posit- positives. Like I'm, I am, I think if, if we could, if we had the benefit of like objective hindsight, but I think if you go back, half of my weirdness and silliness and who I am and how I interpret things has got to come from Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock and weird stuff like that, that I must have sat there and watched this stuff. And um, I mean, I'm still, I've got Fraggles at home kind of thing. That sounds weird, but, but <laughs> I, 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 Jim Henson, and those that kind of style has been a massive influence on me now that's just me watching a tv and watching those things and i'm i'm doing all right like i'm pretty intelligent i'm pretty like normal and i can hold a conversation now i was sat in front of the screen watching that kind of thing so there's no there's it's not all bad no but that's that's different i think that's different yeah because tv's one way yeah, you can only so. receive stuff via TV, but it's it's when maybe not infants, but when children have access to stuff where they can outwardly communicate things. True, that, and they're well, not that's a, that's they're a not yeah. old enough to understand what they're doing. That scares me having a daughter. That's oh, what I'm okay, thinking. Yeah. How so do the, I the, the out the outgoing stuff? I can, that's yeah, what I mean. I'm thinking more about like just going. Well, watch, it, watch it, this. Shut up and watch this for a while. Yeah, but I mean that as well as TV back in our day was you had. I guess multiple people vetting shows. There's yeah, nothing in Fra- so, Fraggle yeah. Rock was going to come through to you that wasn't pre-vetted by. Yeah, I mean the dozers are pretty weird, but yeah, I don't know what's like. There's probably some hidden meaning in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, I don't know. Netflix, it's kind of yeah, no, it's kind I, of I see, the, the TV and the internet. There, there are YouTube, positives. It, 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 it does sorts. help to. Uh, Did you see that thing in YouTube recently? It, the um, oh, there was that thing for. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. Oh, not Some weird looking, scary, yeah, that no, face. We're not allowed to talk about that. That freaked Ruth out to yeah. an nth degree. I barely can look at it. That's the thing that's that scares that, me. That stuff is like, what the hell is going on? That that I agree. That's the scary mm. stuff. That's more, I'd say, though, the use of it and 
um, the the content of of what's going on there. Like that's just weird. But that's just nas- That's just different forms of nasty. Like the world is always going to have nasty in it. Yeah. Um, and that's just changing. And we get older and we're like, well, why would you do that? Like I just don't understand why would you do that. But people do with like this this crap things. But yeah. It's one Someone's gone things. to a lot of effort to do something that yeah. horrible on and such it, a massive scale. And it's funny, like without being too tenuous, that we talk about how hard it is to do business and all this kind of stuff. It's that stuff and all of that's going on in your life and you're meant to do a social media strategy and do this. It's that kind of stuff. That's when we talk about, when I talk about like, it's dead hard. Like you've got all this, the world is against you, putting all this pressure on you uh, in things that are, different for everyone and yet you've why on earth would you then rush out and go oh tweet this do this kind of thing it's just it's unnecessary stress like you've got enough hard work over in life and in business running like for your marketing for your copy do it strategically that's like my biggest takeaway is like just you've got to be strategic about everything you do it's probably a good place to wrap it up yeah Covered quite Weirdly, a lot. Weirdly, just finishing on Fraggles was always the yeah. aim. That's the only note here <laughs> is the to say finish on Fraggles. Uh, but yeah. So where can people find the book? Find out more uh, about the you? People can find the book on Amazon. Um, unfortunately, it's a beast of a company that's ill and terrible for the world, but it is where books get bought uh, and it does help when people buy it on Amazon. Uh, so I would check it out on Amazon or you can get it from the publisher, Harriman House, uh, directly. Um just search the art of the click it is now the number one search for that and they have stopped returning clocks as the uh search return which annoyed me for some some time (laughs) but um but yeah no the art of the click will come up uh glenfish you can find me on there uh you can find me uh personally at theglenfisher.com um that does sound megalomaniac but i just figured out very early on if you put the word the before your name uh, you can often get the domain name much easier. Uh, so that's how I yeah. ended up with that. Uh, and then uh, otherwise, if you're in Grimsby, I'm, I'm usually in a pub somewhere. So come and say hello if you see my uh, strange face. You working on another book? I am working on another book uh, very slowly at the moment. Uh, but I have, I have, <laughs> I say these things, I always say like, it's good to say things out loud if you're not sure about them to see how they sound kind of thing. I've definitely got one book, which I've, I know is a a good idea that I've got legs on and I've started kind of form formulating that, um, which is probably the, the book that will be next. But then I did, I I love philosophy. I love reading about philosophy. uh, And I suddenly thought about, would it be a good book to have like when Socrates met Ogilvy or something and just have, uh, the most famous ad man and the most famous philosopher walking through the world and meeting different philosophers and different famous advertisers and seeing how they influenced so this style of philosophy influenced this style of marketing or what have you it's a it's a it's a bath idea that i have in the bath into this but i kind of i'm saying it out loud to practice it now to see how ridiculous it is but i kind of like that idea um i think you could have a lot of fun with that and i've come to realize that where I thought you could only write very prescript in prescriptive ways so oh I have to write a business book or oh I have to write a self-development book or I have to write a novel 
or a funny book or a sad book or what have you I'm now of the mind that actually I can write anything and I can do whatever I like with it and I've got to that I don't know have I mastered it you talk about doing so much time of doing something and writing people seem to like the style I write in and I've just realized I'm flirting now with the idea that I can kind of bend the rules a little bit in that way so so that's another idea I have ideas for things but the first one will probably be more realistic and that will probably be about about creative uh, the creative process itself uh, and how that relates to advertising and marketing but also to art generally um, so yeah that's that's the post-it note wall at my in my office at the moment with uh, various things around so we'll see I might never create a second book in my life. it's like the difficult second album yeah uh, <laughs> but but my aim is to do more books and become an author well, you are an author. Yes, um, I'm thinking more like a author that you'd see in a as a character in a Richard Curtis kind of film or something, bumbling around <laughs> in like tweed jackets. Oh yes, he's the author. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. We'll have you on when you do your next book, which I'll pest you about. We'll get you back on. Indeed, you. I hope your podcast is running for some time. <laughs> yeah, more than three episodes would be good. Right, thanks, Clem. Thank you very much.